Journalists in Ireland are operating under an oppressive legal regime that is slow, costly, opaque and unpredictable. That's the view of the editor of the Irish Times, Ruan McCormick, who describes Ireland's defamation laws as a threat to democracy. Well, I spoke to him earlier and asked him about that and about some of the other challenges facing the newspaper industry. But first I asked him why he believes Ireland's defamation laws are a threat to democracy. Well, by way of preface, let me point out that everything I say about defamation law, I say in general about the issue and not about any individual cases. I think that's important. The defamation regime is a threat to democracy because it poses an existential threat for many publishers. And many publishers, knowing this, think twice before pursuing certain types of of stories. Don't take my word for it. For years, we've had condemnation of what they call this draconian regime by the Council of Europe, by the European Court of Human Rights, by the European Commission, by free speech groups. The problem is that the system is very slow, it's unpredictable, and it's very costly. Because the costs are are so high, um, and many publishers know that that's an existential threat to their future operations, they they think twice before publishing. They 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 are are more cautious than they otherwise would be. How how, it, mu- how much are we talking about? How much can it cost to fight a defamation action? Well, I mean, off the top of my head, if you were to bring a case all the way to the High Court, and you were to spend a week in the High Court, you wouldn't get out of there for much less than three hundred and fifty or four hundred thousand euro. And that's something that the publishers have to contemplate. It's also something that plaintiffs have to contemplate. You're talking about money of that scale. You know, it really is a question for plaintiffs of putting the house on the line. So the costs are really, really off the scale. I say for both sides. I mean, it's a problem for publishers. It's a problem for 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 plaintiffs as well. To bring a case in the High Court or even the Circuit Court, you really are rolling the dice. I mean, we made a point in in an editorial this week or or last week. We said, you know, a minor inadvertent debatable slur on somebody's reputation could end up with an award larger than what you would get from the courts if you suffered serious brain damage or lost both legs. And that doesn't sound right to me. But people have a right, though, to their good name. And and the courts, I suppose, are, are the ultimate vindication for people. That's absolutely right. And of course, any defamation regime has to strike a balance between the the right of the individual to protect her his or her good name on the one hand and the right of a free pe- press, the right to, to, to legitimate democratic debate. The problem is that the Irish legislation does not strike that balance. It is strongly weighted against against publishers. Every media company I know, so every media company will produce a risk register every year, like most companies do, and they they rank the risks that they face, that their businesses face. I guarantee you that every year, near the top of that list for nearly every publisher in Ireland will be the fact that Ireland has an oppressive legal regime for journalism. That doesn't sound right to me. But the the fact, though, that people um, are inclined to go to law, perhaps even before going to the press ombudsman or or directly to the newspaper to try and sort out a grievance. Doesn't that suggest that they want the courts to to rubber stamp their reputation and that maybe they don't feel that a clarification uh, buried in the newspaper or a correction which might be ordered by the ombudsman um, goes far enough to, to protect their reputations? I think where somebody has been defamed People have every right to go to the courts. They have every right to pursue the legal channel. And we're certainly not advocating that um, you know, the Defamation Act be, be repealed or abolished. It's important that that right be there to be, to be vindicated. Um, however, you know, 
the whole, the whole issue here is whether this system benefits anybody at all. It certainly doesn't benefit publishers. It, I don't think it benefits plaintiffs because they face the same high costs that we face. Um, you could argue that the legal profession benefits, but I think the chief beneficiaries of it are the rich and the powerful and those who have an interest in suppressing debate. There are other mechanisms through which you can vindicate your good name. You mentioned the press ombudsman and the press council. We see increasingly that the first contact we have from complainants is not an informal contact saying, you've got this wrong, would you correct it? Would you give me a, a prominent correction? It's a legal letter. We see relatively few cases start uh, at the press ombudsman level. It's a very easily accessible system, the press ombudsman, press council system. It's free, it's fast. If we lose the case, the, the correction, the decision of the press ombudsman has to appear very prominently in our newspaper and on our website. Th there are changes being being proposed to the defamation laws and they include um, the abolition of juries and um, the introduction of, uh, um, I mean, one of the changes, I suppose, that you're seeking is a right to seek the dismissal of groundless claims. Um, how, how would journalism differ? if the changes that you are seeking to defamation laws came into effect? I'm not sure the process we go through before we decide to publish a story would change in any way. As I say, we're not looking for the abolition of the, of the, of the defamation laws. Mm. But, um, but is, is uh, it hard to argue that they have a chilling effect if you're saying that they don't change how you do your business? We work very hard to ensure that the chilling effect is not achieved. Um, you know, so we treat a story about somebody who is taking action against us in exactly the same way as we would treat a story about anybody else. We persist, we continue to do our work, but I can't speak for other editors and I have spoken to editors, particularly at local and regional level, who say to me, the costs of losing a case, the costs even of defending a case before it gets to court are so punitive and so exorbitant that we think twice about approaching certain types of stories. Even if, like, like us, like the Irish Times, you persist and you continue to do your work, you still have to fend off um, uh, actions and, and, and legal letters and so on from people who are seeking to make this chilling effect real. And how do you do that? You have to do that by building a, a very large legal apparatus around the publication of, of basic news stories reporting the news. That's costly, it's time, time intensive. When I speak to counterparts in other countries, they can't believe how much of an apparatus, how much of an infrastructure, a legal infrastructure we've had to build around our, our, our basic reporting of the news. Um, it's very costly, it's very expensive. If the legislation was amended, you're right, it wouldn't change our journalism, but it would allow us um, to go about our work without this threat hanging over us. It would allow us to invest more in journalism instead of having to spend it on legal fees. Now, I know you're talking in general terms, but we are having this conversation as your own newspaper is the subject of uh, defamation proceedings which have been lodged in the High Court by the Sinn Féin TD, Chris Andrews. I know you're not going to go into detail on what is a, a live case, but the fact that Mr Andrews is not just your newspaper, but also has personally named as part of that lawsuit your newspaper's political correspondent, Harry McGee. What's your view on that? Well, as you say, it's difficult for me to talk about any live cases, Justin. However, I will make just two general points. First, I have to say I was disappointed to see papers filed against my colleague Harry McGee in this case. It's not unprecedented, but is, it is unusual for, for an action to be taken against a named journalist like that. Harry is an outstanding, fair-minded journalist and a person of real integrity. And it goes without saying that we will stand behind our public interest journalism and the journalists who produce it. The second point I'd make is that I've been surprised to hear it said a number of times over the past week that uh, 
there is always contact between complainants and publishers uh, before lawyers become involved. That's not my experience. It's not what happened in this case. Very often and with increasing frequency, the first contact we have from somebody is a legal letter. On occasion, you'll see that a barrister has been engaged from day one. You'll see that a senior counsel has been engaged from day one. And what that means is that the costs clock starts to tick from day one with consequences of the sort that we've been discussing for the last few minutes. And the first contact you're saying in this case was from a, a legal representative? Yes. All right. Now, we did contact Chris Andrews and uh, we wanted to ask him about this case. He didn't respond to our contact. I, I want to ask you, Rowan McCormick, about the future of newspapers um, and the changing habits of newspaper readers. The Irish Times has uh, uh, um, had a very good week, uh, winning 10 out of 24 National Journalism Awards during the week. Um, but do you see a time when you will be the editor not of a newspaper, but of a news platform, an, an online platform. Some of our most loyal and valued readers read us in print. Now, we know that the print market in Ireland, as in Europe and, and much of the world, is in, is in decline. But, you know, and we're not under any illusions about that. But the fact is that we sell a huge number of newspapers in Ireland, north and south, every week. Um, tens of thousands of our readers receive their Irish Times on their doorstep every morning and we have a very close relationship with them. We think it's a good offering, we think it's good value and many people happily agree with us. So we'll continue to provide that service for as long as our readers want it and for as long as it's viable but, for but us to provide you, it. you can't believe though that there will always be a printed newspaper? I'm, I'm comfortable with, with, you know, I'm comfortable for us to go wherever the readers go. And so you say that I'll be the editor of a, a, a multimedia platform. I already am in that we, we, we publish on multiple platforms. We publish in digital, we publish in print. We, we reach large parts of our audience through social media and, and, and through, other, through other ways. I mean, clearly the focus for us is on, on digital. We put a lot of work into our print edition. We think it's a, a very good product. But the focus is on digital. Digital has enabled us to do things that would have been unthinkable for us 20, 20 years ago. We, we can have 20, sorry, we can have millions of people uh, coming to our site every day. We reach people across the world. We have the sort of reach um, that would have been, that we couldn't have dreamed of a long, a long but, time ago. But do, do you have a plan for the phasing out of the newspaper, the printed paper? It's not that we have a we have a plan, but we're realistic about the direction of travel in the market. And clearly the challenge we face is to offset the decline in print revenues through digital. Now, you can do that partly through advertising, and our advertising is still a very important part of our, our, our business model. But the fact is that today in Ireland, 85% of the digital advertising market is controlled by big tech, principally Google and Facebook, and the rest of us, including RTE and the Irish Times, compete for the remaining 15%. So that's not going to save us. Um, what is going to ensure us a, a, a a successful future, I think, is the combination of advertising and subscriptions. And, and the focus in the Irish Times is very much on, on subscriptions. We introduced our model, our subscriptions model in 2015. It has been a very big success for us. We have 130,000 paying subscribers now. I'm not sure if we'd had this conversation 10 years ago that I would have been able to tell you that I could see easily see a viable future for 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 digital media organisations in the 21st century. Today I can, and I can say it with some confidence because of the success we've had with our, our subscriber model and the success we've seen in other countries as well. But when you have a, a declining newspaper readership, and as you mentioned, there, there are big challenges for um, uh, offering news on a digital platform. There simply isn't the, the equivalent of a full-page advertisement uh, on on your, your mobile phone. Um, I know your organisation is looking at voluntary redundancies. How many positions are we likely to see going? 
We, we don't have a number on it. Um, staff have been told about that in recent weeks and details are going to be made available in the coming weeks. Um, it has happened a number of times over the last 20 years as, as, as the, uh, the media industry um, has changed in common with many other companies in Ireland and, and overseas. But behind uh, a voluntary parting programme like that is the principle of save to invest. So you will make certain savings in other areas and you will invest in others. And we have identified areas in which we plan to invest in the coming period. But will there be fewer journalists after all of this, uh, this redundancy programme has, has been completed? I wouldn't necessarily say that. And I think I have identified and, and my colleagues in the Irish Times have identified areas in which we are going to, we're going to invest. We have a lot of work to do on visual journalism, on data journalism. We want to do more on, on investigations and, and in other areas. So we, we have an ambitious plan for investment over the next couple of years. We've seen this week the case being made by RTE for, for government funding for public service journalism. RTE is increasingly moving towards providing its news to audiences online. Um, it has an app offering news content for, for free. It's non-subscription. Um, is that problematic for media organisations like the Irish Times? I mean, you, you, that, that you have a competitor which is funded in part by the state, which is providing news content on people's mobile devices for free. Firstly, I want to see RTE do well. I think it's a very important institution in Irish life. It's full of great people, um, you know, public-minded people. I want to see Indigenous Irish media do well. There are few enough of us of us left. Um, we're also uh, we also want strong rivals. I mean, having good competitors is good for us. It keeps us on our toes and improves improves us and, and what we do. The problem with RTE for us, as you say, is that um, RTE is one of our main digital competitors um, and we're not competing on a level playing field in that RTE receives a large subvention in the form of the licence fee. It enables RTE to, to produce a, a news website uh, free to view, free, free, free to read uh, in a way that, 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 we, that we can't. And on top of that, RTE also competes with us for that 15% of the digital advertising market. So clearly there's a question of basic fairness and distortion in the market. And I think conversations around that are going to have to happen. Are you making a case for a slice of the public funding provided um, by the government to, to support public service journalism? It's certainly one option that you could disperse uh, the money that's made, made available for public service journalism to reflect the fact that public, public service journalism is done um, by others as well as, as well as RTE. You would have to design any system in such a way as to ensure that it didn't trespass on journalistic independence and integrity. And indeed, we've turned down several opportunities at government funding or state funding in recent years because we didn't feel um, it, it crossed that bar. There are other areas you could discuss, issues that have been in circulation for, for a number of of years, whether it's the sharing of sports rights, the sharing of video and imagery, um, regional journalism, which was is one of my, my big concerns. We can clearly see that there are news black spots emerging in the country where it's difficult to get coverage of courts, of local authorities and so on. That could be another area worth exploring. And that was Ruan McCormack, editor of the Irish Times, speaking to me earlier. After the break, running or walking, which is better for your health? <laughs> 